You're listening to Austinites, a show about your neighbors here in Austin and who they really are. I'm Frank Garza. When Drew Eckelberger rolled into Austin on June 22nd, 2019, he hadn't exactly taken the easiest, most direct route here. He had left his home in Louisville, Kentucky two years earlier, headed up north towards Minneapolis, then west over to South Dakota to see the Black Hills and Badlands. He made his way to Vancouver and then south all the way down the Pacific coast through California and to the Baja Peninsula in Mexico. He crossed back into the U.S., and traveled across the Southwest, Phoenix, the Grand Canyon, until he finally crossed into Texas. And he had done all of this riding on his bike. Drew was on part two of his plan to ride around the perimeter of the country. He had finished part one around the Northeast back in 2015. For this one, his travel route and timeline were pretty loose. He'd just pick a place he had always wanted to see, map a bike route there, and then stop off at random detours along the way. It was kind of like, well, I don't have any strings attached. Like, I don't have any kids. I don't own any property. I have like a career job that I can only take off a week paid vacation a year or anything like that. Like, I sold off everything I had. I boxed up everything else. I had saved up all this money. I pretty much was like, I have nothing to lose. So let's just go out and see the world. Everything Drew needed was packed onto his bike his food, his clothes, and a tent. But he didn't always need the tent. But I would just say, hey, does anybody know anybody here? And somebody on Instagram would be like, my cousin lives there. I told him what you're doing. He said you can crash at his place. And so then I'm staying with some random person I never met's cousin, you know, who ends up being really cool. And then we end up being friends. And then he later starts following in 3,000 miles on the other side of the country. He's like, hey, I know this person. You could stay with them. He mixed long rides with rest days. You know, when you ride for eight hours a day, sitting on a seat with your weight in your hands, your feet, and your butt on 38 millimeter tires, carrying hundreds of pounds up and over mountains and across deserts and forests. And it takes a toll on you, like mentally as well as physically. So I really appreciated those like rest days. Along the route, he met all kinds of interesting characters and got into loads of adventures. There was the time he was riding on a road in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. It was raining, and he was desperate for a place to rest for the night. And he decided to knock on the door of the next house he came to. I go and I knock on this door. And then this old man comes to the door in his underwear with a revolver pointed at me. And I, like, throw my hands in the air. And I just kind of, like, started, like, kind of crying. And another night that he needed a place to crash, this time in South Dakota, and someone told him about a local church that left its doors unlocked at night. And the next morning, this little old lady walks into the church at like five o'clock in the morning. It was like stupid early. She walks in and she sees me and I like pop up and she just looks at me. We make eye contact and she like gives this massive blood hurtling scream like, ah, and just runs out of the church <laughs> about 20 minutes later. The mayor and the sheriff walk into this church, and I'm still like laying there on the floor. I got my bike and like my shit kind of strung out everywhere. There was the time he was in Toronto taking part in a world naked bike ride 
and one of the stops along the route just happened to be at a park that was hosting a legalized sex work rally. And so they had like a big catered like burrito buffet. And I'm thinking to myself like, well, shit, I'm about to ride all the way back down to Niagara Falls, like a hundred miles. So I was like, I'm going to ride back down there after this. Like I should probably carb load. Like so I'm like doctoring up myself, like building myself a burrito naked in this buffet line in the middle of the park at this legalized sex work rally. And I look up and realize that the whole like world naked bike ride had left except for me and like three other naked dudes making burritos in the line. It was one adventure after another, and when he finally arrived in Austin, it was only supposed to be for a short-term pit stop. He just wanted to check out the city and fix an issue with his bike frame. My plan was to find a job short-term for a couple months in order to save up enough money to get a new frame and transfer all of my components onto the new frame and then continue on my route down to Key West and Puerto Rico and then back up the East Coast and then home to Kentucky to complete the perimeter of the United States, basically. But two years later, and he's still here. He hasn't left to complete the rest of his perimeter ride. Why? On today's show, the story of a guy who biked nearly 20,000 miles around the country, but then he stopped in Austin and never left. Drew got into cycling through another sport, swimming. He had been into the sport his entire life and had worked as a swim instructor, including the summer after college when he decided to try a new way of getting to work every day. I was like, I'm going to ride my bike to the pool. I'm going to ride my bike to work and I'll bring my lunch from home every day for the summer. This is summer 2014. And I just kind of fell in love with cycling. I took my dad's old 1987 Peugeot Tourmalet off the wall in the garage that he bought in the military base in Fort Campbell, Tennessee in, in 1987. And, you know, I took it up to the local bike shop that I was going to at the time in Louisville and had him clean it up for me and, you know, get it rideable again. And I started riding it and I really just fell in love with it. It was like, oh man, maybe I'm going to ride five miles. Oh, I'll ride 10 miles. I'm going to ride 20. I was like, oh, 30 and then it was like 50 and then 100 and then you know it just kept kept growing and it was like a, a really freeing vessel like uh to be able to explore and see my environment like from that perspective as he fell in love with cycling drew was also struggling with the big question what should he do with his life that summer i was at a music festival and seemed like all my friends were either getting married or going to do masters or PhDs or moving out of state for a job or something like that. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, well, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. Like, I didn't want to just keep working. And I, I love teaching swimming. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was very rewarding, but it didn't seem like a career. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. I, I, for years, I wanted to be a professor. I wanted to do laboratory research and psychology stuff at the university level. And I got burnt out on academia. I'm not good with deadlines. And, you know, uh, it wasn't exactly the route for me. So I somehow, somewhere along the line decided to, I'm going to ride my bike across the country. And I'm going to write a book about it to document my experience. He was viewing the trip as route recon for a future book or TV show focused around bicycle travel and adventure tourism. Basically, he'd find cool spots along the road and share that with the world. The initial plan 
was to leave in 2015 and circumnavigate the perimeter of the United States. But he was also in a band with some childhood friends, and they had received a big opportunity to perform at a music festival in Louisville that summer. So we decided to split up the trip. He did a northeastern loop from Louisville to Niagara Falls and back as part one. So I did that trip. And then my plan was like I'd, I'd come home, perform the festival, and then head west. And then I'd like run out of money. At the time, I was trying to save like a, a failing relationship that I then stayed in for too long and eventually got out of. So then I was like, okay, uh, next summer, I'll leave next summer and head west. And then two years went by. So finally, two years later, it's the next two Mays later, and I've gotten, I've upgraded the bike. I've gotten the nicer, newer gear. I've spent all this time doing this research, not necessarily on the route. Like I knew, I was like, oh, I want to go here and see this and do that and see this and whatever. But it was mainly just like saving up money to have a budget, have a safety net. Finally, on May 30th, 2017, Drew set off on part two of his ride, the one that would ultimately bring him to Austin. He remembers the moment that he rode out of Louisville. I stopped on the Big Four Bridge to have my one last final, like, man, I'm like choking up a little bit, think about it, to like have my like romantic moment with my city. I was like so proud to call home. I was like, I'm gonna fucking tell everybody I rode here from Kentucky. I remember standing there and my mom had like slipped a, a note into my bag. And I like opened my bag to like smoke a joint, stand on the bridge and look at the city skyline. But at this point, it's like five o'clock in the afternoon and I'm like leaving for a 136 mile ride at five o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like standing on the bridge and I read the note and she's like, it was like something like, you know, we're proud of you, we're supporting you, something like that. And I like couldn't leave. I like just stood there staring at at the city for a while and I was like, okay, I can't, I gotta get going. At this point, I'm gonna like leave tomorrow if I don't leave this very moment. But when I crossed the bridge, I remember like just turning back and looking over my shoulder, looking over my shoulder until like the city skyline like disappeared behind the tree line and just fucking crying my eyes out, just being like, just bawling, like shaking, crying, but I'm like riding like on the road and like kind of busy traffic area. He told me more about why that moment was so emotional. It was like a new beginning. It was like leaving home. It was like sad. Like that was, that had always been my life, you know, like, and I knew that this trip was going to be different than the last one. Like the last one was like, oh, it's six weeks. I'll be home in six weeks. Like this one, I didn't have a a return date. And I knew I was embarking on something like much bigger than anything I'd ever tackled at the time. So it was like fear probably. And then just like, I don't know, I guess it felt like it was somewhat of a loss, like losing that like the comfort and the, the the camaraderie, the convenience of the city and place I knew and called home, all my friends, all my family, to go and like do this thing all by myself. But it's 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 led to the you know a wild past couple of years, and you know it, it, a book's worth of stories easily. Those stories came as Drew rode around the U.S., Canada, and Mexico over the next two years. He met so many people along the way and was amazed at how many of them wanted to support him and be a part of what he was doing. Even the ones who were skeptical of him at first, Drew would often find a way to make a meaningful connection with them. You remember that guy who answered the door 
in his underwear with a gun? Well, he ended up offering Drew a hot bowl of soup. As they talked on his front porch, he told Drew that his son had committed suicide. The lady in the church that had screamed and called the mayor and sheriff? Well, the mayor ended up buying Drew some breakfast that day and pointing out a place where he could tend to some of his wounds from an earlier crash. Time and time again, Drew found people who wanted to lend a helping hand and connect with him. Basically, like I would roll into a small town in the middle of nowhere and just go to the bar and sit at the bar by myself and people would start talking to me. So I'm dressed in my cycling kit. Like I've got my like Tour de France spandex on and shit. And they're like, who the hell is this dude? And where are you coming from? Where are you going? Why are you doing this? What do you eat? Where do you sleep? Do you got a gun? How do you afford this? It was that or where, where do you stay? And I don't know. I figured I would see if they'd let me sleep behind the bar or something. I pitch my tent behind plenty of restaurants and bars in small towns. So I'll help you open up in the morning or I'll help you do dishes at clothes or something like that. And a lot of times they'll like not charge you for your meal. They'll like, or, or some, somebody else sitting at the bar will be like, oh, they, they paid for your dinner. Like I got thousands, thousands of dollars of just like donations from random strangers that I met on the street, people I might not ever know their name. And it was just like everyone wanted to kind of be a part of it and like help contribute to what I was doing and like, oh, so that I would remember their small town. So that takes us to June 2019. Drew is riding through Texas on his way to see Austin for the first time. So uh, as I am riding through the hill country, I'd crashed my bike and cracked my frame. My dumbass looks down at like a notification on my phone, my Garmin from my phone, riding on the shoulder of a state highway in the dark at night in a headwind uphill. And and like I looked down, looked back up, and the shoulder had gone out. And I just I crashed the bike. I picked myself up, dusted myself off, kept going, and didn't realize that I had actually cracked my frame. The cracked frame wasn't catastrophic, but he knew it was a matter of time before it failed completely. He was still able to make it to Austin, and he remembers seeing the city for the first time. When I rode in, on the shoulder of State Highway 71 from Horseshoe Bay at sunset. I was out like maybe Bee Cave, a little past that. So it was dark when I come into town, but I remember coming down Barton Springs Boulevard and like seeing the murals and seeing the food trucks and like the all like young people on the street. And I was just like, man, this place is like happening. His plan was to find some short-term work, save up some money, and then fix his frame. The first job he found was doing a work trade at a hostel called Drifter Jacks. And it was funny because it went from me being the guy passing through town, kind of transiently meeting people along the way, to then being the stationary guy welcoming these people to a city that I've never been to before. That like some people have never been to the United States, never been to Texas, never been to Austin. And I'm the guy who, I've never been to Austin either but I'm the guy at the front desk like, welcome to Austin. He also got connected to the bike community and soon after met someone who could fix his bike frame. You know, I just meet this guy. I'm talking, telling him my story. And he's like, oh, I'm a welder. You know, I could fix your bike. Like, and he, he's like, oh, bring it by. Went over to, he was, he was building pedicabs on the east side at Precision Pedicab and I went there and he, you know, performed on the spot surgery on the machine. You know, he shaved the paint off around where the wrinkle was and the crack. And I, at that time I was still riding the bike, but I was like 
a little stressed out about riding it because I was like thinking it was going to snap in half on me at, at any point, but I had no other mode of transportation. So I rode it over there and, you know, I watched him and filmed it and he welded it and was like, okay. I mean, it was like 10 minute process and it was done. And my bike was, had new life breathed into it, you know? So he's like, well, that should get you at least to the keys. So now he's made some money and his bike is fixed. But he still didn't leave. Two years have gone by, and he still hasn't left. So that brings us back to the question we asked at the beginning of the show. Why not? Well, there is no one clear answer to that one. It's been a combination of things. He met someone. Shortly after that, uh, met a girl, came from Spain to do her master's here at UT, the architecture school. And I remember I was uh, working at the hostel and she had come to stay at the hostel and then she ended up moving like right up the street. And then I pretty much like basically ended up moving in with her and then getting my own place. And then when she was, when her lease was up, then we ended up getting our own place together. They found a nice place in Hyde Park. I love the neighborhood. Like I can walk to Quacks in the morning and get a coffee and get a place. And there's a swimming pool, there's a playground, you know, like that little mini castle. Like it's just quaint. It's charming. He continued finding various work opportunities, including his current job, doing social media for a bike shop called Austin Bike Farm. Once I had kind of bounced through the series of jobs, you know, from the hostel to the startup to the production company and walking dogs and, and doing random odd jobs, eventually finding myself at the bike shop it was kind of always a dream. Like people love to romanticize the bike shop. Like it's, it's hard work. It's stressful. It's not as, as glamorous as people may make it out to be, but like, I love it and I enjoy it. And I feel like I have a place and a voice in the community with my role doing like the social media. Drew has found himself putting down some roots and getting more and more comfortable here. Even so, he says that the plan is to get back on the road and finish his perimeter ride. Ultimately, the goal is, again, sounds like an echoed boy who cried wolf from the notion of when I very first got here, even though it's kind of still the same sentiment now. I'll save up a little bit of money and get back on the road and blah, 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 blah. So the idea is, yeah, maybe a few months or a year from now or something like that to kind of pick up where I left off and continue and kind of treat this like one long big open-ended detour in, in the middle of my trip. But during our conversations, I noticed some doubt about this decision, and there were times it sounded like he wanted to stay. Yeah, I don't know, something about it, like they, they call it the velvet rut. So they say like you, you get stuck in the comfort, and then there's this magnetic pull that you, you try to leave, but even mentally thinking about how to go about approaching Taking that first step now almost seems more daunting than leaving home originally in the first place. Because leaving home was like, hey, I'm going to go out on this big adventure. Hey, I got something to prove. Like, let's go see the world. Now it's like, well, I've seen the world and I kind of like it here. You know, like, why leave? This is pretty nice. Like, where else would you rather go? I feel like I'm going to leave and then I'm going to regret leaving. And I'm like, oh shit, this sucks. Other times, it seemed more certain that he was likely to go. Like this time, when I suggested that maybe he had already gotten everything he was looking for out of the trip. 
I don't think so. I feel like it barely scratched the surface. Like if I go back and I look through it, I go through my photos, I go through my writings and I see like, oh man, that was really cool. I had that. The truth is that Drew was facing the same tough decision that many of us face. Not necessarily with the bike ride, but in some other area of our life. It's the, hey, I'm pretty comfortable right here, but I'm also curious if there might be something else out there. Maybe even something that I'm missing out on. Should I go see or just be grateful for what I have here? I'm not sure which way Drew will ultimately go. I'm just glad that for now, he's found a place that feels like home. And whether he chooses to stay or get back on the road, either one will probably end up just fine. If he stays, he can continue supporting the bike community here in Austin. I want to be able to help people and enjoy their bicycle and anything, all facets that go with that, whether it's clothing or nutrition or protecting their investment um, by knowing how to properly lock it up to protect it from, from thieves. And if he goes, I hope he'll get to experience more of those moments that made his first two trips so special. More moments like the ones he told me about, like this one, when he was riding in the middle of the night on an empty highway on his way to visit the gravesite of his grandfather in Pierre, South Dakota. So I made the choice to, to ride through the night. I got to see the sun, you know, rode into the sunset, watch the moon rise, watch the moon set, watch the sunrise. It's, there's no turns for hundreds of miles. So I was able to turn all my headlights and taillights off. I could see a car's headlights or taillights from 10 miles, you know, for 10 minutes before they approach from a distance. And I'm, you know, watching shooting stars. I stop in the middle of the road, just kind of, soak it in you know seeing all the stars really the darkest skies i'd ever seen in my life at that point so so far from from anything thanks to drew for being on the show austinites is an independent podcast produced by me frank garza if you're looking for a way to support the show please consider becoming a patreon supporter these are people who donate money to the show every month with more supporters, I'm able to produce more and better shows, and then you can get to know even more of your fellow Austinites. You can become a supporter at patreon.com slash Austinites. Thank you.